This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello, honey, and welcome to Honey Do Me Podcast. I'm Cass. And I'm Emma, and we're just two gals looking for a good lay. Aren't we all? (laughs) But when it comes to sex, we're just as lost as you and have no idea what we're doing. Luckily, we will stop at nothing to get the answers we need. Cue our expert guests. We're ready to overshare and ask all the embarrassing questions so you don't have to. By the end of every episode, you will be dripping in actionable steps and ready to take on the damn world. Or at least take it from behind. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, honey. How how do do you do you? Okay, we're going to jump right back in because I don't want to lose this train of thought. Yes. We okay. were talking about all the wonderful things that we would love to be sponsored by one day, and that would make like our 12-year-old selves come true. <laughs> That's not what I meant. 12-year-old self dreams come true, mm-hmm. and you said photo bucket. I said photo bucket. Um, I loved photo bucket. I hope everybody that is listening right now remembers photo bucket. It was like Pinterest meets Tumblr. It's where you'd get all your sick graphics for your binder cover. Yeah, for for yeah, I would make collages on my binder. I would print them at home, cut them out, make a collage, but I always chose just the darkest. <laughs> darkest images and oh, I witchy. don't know it wasn't witchy. It wasn't in a witchy was way. It, like the it scary was in a emo? like it was an emo way. Like the the type of vibe where it's like blue like scene kid. And I think so. I don't really know what that is. Is like the bangs across yes, the face. Yes, I was just going to say yeah. the bangs that start on the other side of the head yeah, across the face. Yeah, it was that vibe for sure. And I just, I don't know. I wish I could remember quotes, but it was things like, promise me. <laughs> and like, I don't know, promise just other shit me. that like didn't make sense. Right. Um, and I remember I was sitting next to this guy in class and he's like, why is it so dark? And I said, because that's how I feel. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> You're always been a scene kid. I've always been a deep feeler. Lots of emotion. Yeah. So that's there really you go. Funny. There you go. There's that. So yes, photo bucket. Uh, <laughs> bangs that start on the other side of your head. <laughs> Eyeliner. From yeah. Underwear from Wet Seal. <laughs> oh, I loved Wet Seal. Me too. I used to get those necklaces that would go down to your belly mm-hmm. button from there. Yeah. And then the thongs were only like five dollars. Yeah, T-shirts from Era Pastel. Era Pastel. <laughs> um, okay, hold on. Gumballs. Gumball. <laughs> I liked gumballs. Uh, come that, on, that like checks out. I don't know. What that's supposed With your to rolly mean. backpack and your gumballs. Oh please! I had neck problems, and you know that. That's why I needed a rolly backpack. I feel like gumballs would cause neck problems. <laughs> like. Don't quote me. You know, that's actually so funny because like if I chew gum for too long, like today, I get a headache and it's all like my jaw and my neck. So I don't think you're wrong. So I'm not saying the gumballs like caused your scoliosis. Do gumballs cause scoliosis? Because (laughs) I'd like to be a part of that study. (laughs) 
So there you go. I mean, it's just like something to think about. We're just spitballing. If you could be sponsored by things that would make you so happy as a tween, uh-huh. what, what would, would it be? be? What else did I have? Rainbow flip flops. <laughs> Ooh, old the navy. platform hit flip flops, which I feel like people wear again. So that's yeah, not. That's just cool. But I now. mean, the old navy platform flip flops, yeah. the like thong ones. Yeah, not the like <laughs> slides. Could snap out from the bottom exactly. at a moment's notice. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Exactly those. Oh, God. Ooh, ooh, one more thing. One more thing. One more. Tank tops. Uh, if you're watching this, you can see it better. But that were long on the sides and were short in the middle. I long do on not the side. know what you're talking about. I used to have a butt ton of those tank tops that would be like U-shaped, upside down U-shaped. Mm-mm. Well, Guess you were cooler than I was. I, you know, <laughs> I think we can all agree. I probably the answer was. is yes. Yes. How are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm good. How's your body feeling? How did I know that that would probably be something? Because we got to share with all of our friends. Oh my god, my body is recovering. I did some really intense, sick, really um, high level parkour this weekend. Uh, I guess it's you know it's normal for us. We do parkour whenever we like. I would say whenever we drink, but just like whenever we're out in public without the training to back it up. And it's just who we are. We're very like physical people in that way. We're very physical. <laughs> we're very apt, <laughs> apt, I'd say. I just mean we like to do like move our bodies. I'm an we athlete. We like a challenge. We like a challenge. Um, so Cass lightly asked threw out there to the world said oh it'd be funny if someone swung from that branch and i said i'd do it because there was a branch hanging out kind of across the sidewalk but like pretty high up yeah and so i asked if i could parkour the shit out of the stairs swing up and grab the branch uh i so i tried that it was covered in moss and it was the biggest branch i've ever seen so there's no way i was gonna get grip on it uh, and one, at one point I was in the air and the next I was on my back on the ground, like flat on her back on the cement, on the cement. This is my bruise. If yeah, you oh my God. can see it, it. Kind of, the screen makes it look a little like a shit, mark. <laughs> a shit mark, like a skid mark. Fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> I don't need anything worse. <laughs> I don't need anything worse. It doesn't. It's really and like then, purple. I'm getting bruises on my wrists. They're all over my elbows, um, and then my ass has some too. That you know what? All of that would have been fine, honestly. I would have taken that, mm-hmm. laughed it off, had a margarita, been fine. It was we did it. I, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it in front of this guy I'm newly dating. <laughs> and when I say I wanted to cry, I've never wanted to cry more in my life, and I've watched people pass away. Uh, <laughs> I've never wanted to cry more. In my entire life. Uh, thankfully, he's still dating me. Um, so? It was such a real fall. Like, it was, <laughs> like, it wasn't like a trip. Emma committed so hard. And I want this to go towards, like, feral girl summer <laughs> was, like, the vibe of this parkour experience. Like, Emma <sighs> fucking committed and i just think that is so badass and we had talked about it and she's like i'm embarrassed and i'm like i don't think there's literally anything to be embarrassed about because if he does not like you more after this that is disgusting i commit to challenges to hardships to danger you're a badass badass. and i know like 
part of this is coming off jokingly, but I mean that like so wholeheartedly <laughs> of like you fucking committed and it didn't work out. But like you went so hard, you fell so hard and you got up and you were like fell so hard. <laughs> Sorry, keep kicking up. Yeah, stop. Fucking, I know. My feet are just oh. uncontrollable. Um, it was. I get it top 10 favorite moments that I've witnessed. Yeah. Get um, yourself a friend that calls you a badass when you <laughs> fail so hard in front of your friends. It was truly one of the most badass <sighs> things I've ever seen. I love yeah. you more because of it. So <laughs> you don't actually need to worry what he thinks because my opinion is it far more important. I know. And yeah, I know. Well, how are you? Okay, How's I just have to say body? the last thing. There was a man from across the street. <laughs> Who watched Emma do this whole thing? And he yells, is she okay? <laughs> and I just did a thumbs up. I said, she's good. And this I, was before I had any idea of if she was good. But, but I, it would have been so mortifying if he walked over as if I didn't just yeet myself <laughs> off of earth on purpose myself to do something so stupid. So purposefully. So on purpose. I just... It was mortifying. The first thing I did was hand the guy I'm dating my phone, though, because I was more scared that I broke my phone than broke my back. You didn't. You didn't break a damn thing. Just the cement. My ego. <laughs> my ego's broken in half. But you're building it back up, so thank you. You're welcome. You um, also did something. I also tried to parkour. Um, my fiance, God, my husband, Jesus. is super anti our parkour antics. Um, yeah. Hates them. Well, because no one else is. So someone's got to try to That's keep true. us safe. <laughs> it's just frustrating. Big difference <laughs> in our least. relationship. Some people get divorced over money. We'll see what happens for us. Yeah. Um, it may be the for first us. marriage broken by I. parkour. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so he jokingly was like, go climb that wall. And it was like a, sh it was probably up to like my boobs. Chest, yeah. yeah uh, like a small brick wall in between houses. But there was like, the dirt was fully up on the other side. So it wasn't like a wall where you fine. drop on the other side. It was literally so fine. It was so easy. I like, I hopped up, probably didn't make it look easy, but. <laughs> you just kind of hung there for yeah, a minute. Because I, well, <laughs> I was like going and he's like yelling at me to stop, which is so frustrating when somebody tells you to do something. Yeah. And then he pulled me down. I was like stumbling down and I, um, <laughs> I hurt my ankle really bad. Yeah. We were not a good look. <laughs> no. <laughs> I then had to limp back to the car. My ankle has been like twice the size it is normally for like the past three days. We're such a mess. Yeah. It was so embarrassing. It was like, you can't, you fall from trees. You can't jump a wall. We're just the best. Will uh, we stop? Never. No. <laughs> never. Because if you don't come out with battle scars. Battle scars. I also, you can't enjoy your wins unless you fail. Yes. So next time we'll get it. So there you go. So there you go. That was our weekend update. Today, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're talking about antidepressants. I don't really know what a good transition for that Yeah, there's be. no real transition for that. Uh, I have talked a lot about my experience being on SSRIs, antidepressants. <laughs> I liked your like, Ugh. No. <laughs> I know. That wasn't how you meant it. It was just, it was just a breath. <laughs> Oh, we know. Um, Cass is depressed. <laughs> Cass is so depressed. We get it. She has no sex drive anymore. We <laughs> get it. Yeah, because antidepressants are fucking hard to be on. It's a hard choice to make because 
it everything yeah. about it kind of sucks other than like the antidepressants make you not depressed right. <laughs> or less depressed. So um, they are good in that fashion. <laughs> Is she not the poster child for, <laughs> for antidepressants, antidepressants right now? Anyways, wow, holy cow. They impact your sex life like nobody's fucking business and so does depression and anxiety. And so yeah. we wanted to talk with somebody about it, see what you can do because sometimes you can't get off of them without destroying your fucking life. So uh, <laughs> we have on Dr. Jordan Rulo to break down all of it. Yeah. <laughs> but we're just like so such a mess i love it i just love our scene kid vibes right now Yeah, take your medication it yeah. might screw your sex life and here's how to help i don't know what else to say i'm not gonna sugarcoat it and i am i'm not on medication but i mean that in terms of like i've had trouble with anxiety a lot and mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of covers a broad spectrum mm-hmm. of like anything that feels so heavy and hard to get through and also how a partner can help. So Exactly. So it's for you if you're on <laughs> antidepressants, if you're just depressed, <laughs> you're just anxious. It's not funny. How else do we get through life though? I don't know. Laugh at how hard it's been for us. <laughs> Mental health is no joke. Here's Smooth Dr. Jordan Rulo. <laughs> but I'm bunch <of> Delilah. <laughs> I am uh, Jordan Rulo. I'm a clinical health psychologist, an ASEC certified sex therapist, a Gottman Method couples therapist. I have a, a private practice in Salt Lake City. And my, my specialty is couples and sexual health, specifically sexual function issues. Uh, low desire, difficulty with arousal, inability to reach orgasm, erectile dysfunction. So that's my that's my jam. That's what I love treating and working with. And then I'm also an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Utah. Oh, amazing. So just a couple things. Just a couple of things to name a few. <laughs> well, talking about sexual function and sexual dysfunction, I don't know. That's also our jam. We mm-hmm. love normalizing and explaining. So we would love to talk today about how antidepressants can impact our sexual function. So can you explain maybe like the science behind antidepressants and sexual function? The Well, first of all, I'm not a psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a physician. So the most ba- basic scientific understanding I have is that most antidepressants, not all of them, but most antidepressants impact your serotonin. And you can think about serotonin really hitting the brake pedal on your sexual function. So any drug that's going to impact that serotonin is going to hit that brake pedal. So a lot of antidepressants, uh, they hit the brakes. And uh, as a result, the most common side effects we see are low desire, inability to experience arousal. So that could be vaginal lubrication or erection, blood flow to the genitals, and inability to reach orgasm. Those are like the top three side effects as a result of the impact that antidepressants have on serotonin. One question that I have is like, so I am on an SSRI now. I'm on Lexapro. And something that I was talking to my doctor about when going on that was like, you know, my concern around sexual function. But then we also talked about how depression can impact sexual function. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, depression is one of the biggest predictors for sexual dysfunction. So anywhere from, and it depends on the study you look at, but anywhere from 50 to 70% of people who have depression will report sexual dysfunction. So depression in and of itself, not even on a medication, not even being treated with a medication, in and of itself, depression is going to negatively impact sexual function. Okay, so why? When we think about the core features of depression, it's often low motivation, right? So if your motivation is low, why are you going to want to have sex? So that's going to take a hit on your desire. Uh, another core feature of depression is the things that you typically enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore. So that could be sex. You're not going to be enjoying that. Uh, depression also can kind of put you in this tunnel vision where you either think really badly about yourself or really badly about the world. It's just hard to see anything positive. And when you're in that tunnel vision, it's going to be incredibly difficult to be able to tap into your body, feel sensations, feel pleasure. So those are a few key reasons why depression really impacts sexual function. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I'll wait for your next question. If you want to keep going, that's totally fine. Yeah. But um, I was also yeah. going to ask about anxiety and the impacts that anxiety can have as mm. well. Yes. So anxiety is um, different but similar. The best way I can tr- describe anxiety, and this is the way I describe it to my clients, um, I'll say, so imagine imagine you're a cave person and you just woke up in your cave oh, and uh, maybe you woke up and you're aroused in that moment. You're like, ooh, I'm waking up feeling a little frisky. And then you see a rustle in the bushes and out from the bushes comes a lion. In that moment, that fight or flight, that anxiety kicks in. Because you see that line and you say, I have got to run or I have got to fight. So you woke up with all this blood rushing to your genitals. You were feeling frisky that morning. As soon as you see that line, that blood leaves your genitals because you need it to run or you need it to fight. So what anxiety does is it, um, it basically has our mind scan the environment for threat. And any blood that's in our genitals leaves our genitals because we got to be prepared to deal with this threat. Uh, And if you don't have blood going to your genitals, if you're not feeling relaxed, then it is incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to experience sexual desire, sexual arousal, orgasm. So high anxiety can really shut down sexual function for that reason. So just the scanning itself, not even necessarily like the actual threat can cause exactly. well, my God, that so, makes a lot yeah, of sense. That's the scanning. Yeah. So that's one piece. And how come you're nodding? Yeah, what are you thinking? I just like I wake up <laughs> without anything in front of me. But yeah, my the the scan of my day or of what mm-hmm. might be coming up or, or what I can make up in my head will mm-hmm. just cause me anxiety and make me like tunnel vision on the day and everything that could go wrong. <laughs> and, and my guess is that scanning, you are you are coming up with threats. Oh, gosh, yes. I have that deadline. Am I going to meet that deadline? Mm-hmm. Uh, what if this doesn't happen? So you're scanning and you're finding all of these little threats. And then does that put you in a really relaxed mood to want to have sex? Not even because you don't have time at that point. Like your brain is telling you, like, mm-hmm. why the hell do you think you have time to enjoy pleasure or enjoy anything that puts you at the center of it? You need to do mm-hmm. everything else that gets stuff done for other people. Yes. And so one of the things, um, you know, we're talking, I've been talking about desire, arousal, orgasm. Those are the different dimensions of sexual function. Uh, but there's two different types of arousal. There's also two different types of desire. We can talk about all these things, but two different types of arousal. This is important in our conversation. So one type of arousal is the one we typically hear about the, the vaginal lubrication, blood flow to genitals, erection, clitoral engorgement. So that's the body arousal. But the second type of arousal that is equally important, which is the one we're talking about without talking about it, is mind arousal. Mm. So when you're actually 
having sex or being sexual, what is going through your mind? And so I will ask my clients, because I want to assess how's your body arousal, how's your mind arousal. So when you're actually having sex, what's going through your mind? And oftentimes what I'll hear with my clients who are depressed or my clients who are anxious, so depressed clients will say, I'm just thinking about how awful I feel or my body image or what does my partner think about my body image or how I just wish this would get over with as soon as possible. I'm tired. My anxious clients are going to say, I've got a lot on the to-do list. I am running through the to-do list as I'm having sex. So if you're thinking about those things, how bad you feel about yourself or your body, or you just wish it was done or everything on your to-do list, imagine how that impacts how sexy you feel what um, just how in the moment you feel imagine how that impacts your ability to attend to any potentially pleasurable sensations like you're not there you're not you're not in the moment you're out of the experience right does anxiety medication affect your libido your sexual function the same way that uh, antidepressants can well so a lot of antidepressants are actually um, prescribed for anxiety because some people Mm. argue anxiety and depression there's just a lot of overlap between anxiety and depression Um, So if you're being prescribed an antidepressant for anxiety, of course, that's going to do what antidepressants do. But then there's some anxiety medications that are uh, like in the moment muscle relaxers. So, of course, if you're going to take like a clonopin or a Xanax or something because you are so anxious about getting on a plane or you can't fall asleep at night. um, Yeah, I mean, think about what a muscle relaxer does. You are just like zonked out. And if you're zonked out, that's probably going to be difficult to be sexual. Now, that being said... (laughs) Um, the, there's some benefit to be able to relax. There's a huge benefit to be able to relax to some degree, not zonked out, but to some degree, this is why people say like, I have a couple glasses of wine before I have sex because it can, I talked about those brake pedals before. Oftentimes there's all these breaks. Well, how long is this going to take? And what's my body look like? And I feel a little bloated, have a couple glasses of wine, or maybe you take, uh, uh, just a little bit of a clonopin or Xanax. I'm not supporting these things, by the way, I'm just saying, (laughs) If you take something that relaxes you, it can remove some of that weight off the brake pedal and allow you to be able to be more present. But there's a slippery slope. Take too much, have too much wine, have too much alcohol. Right. And then you're just, again, you're zonked out. It's a depressant. Because mm-hmm. I just want to know if there's like medication out there that doesn't have these side effects for people, you know, that can actually boost your sexual function or, you know. Well, I know just from talking to my doctor, like there are different types uh-huh. of antidepressants and like SSRIs are ones that tend to cause sexual dysfunction, but like Wellbutrin is one that she talked to me about that, you know, could increase uh, Mm -hmm. my libido. I think it depends a lot on the person and yeah, you might have a better. So yeah, so lots of different medications, SNRIs, SSRIs, and they do have differing effects on that balance of, um, yeah, on the balance of, let's say the neurochemicals. Bupropion or Wellbutrin is known to have the least sexual side effects. And again, I don't know all the scientific stuff behind this, not a physician, but there's even um, some research showing, and this is one of the kind of treatment options if you're having sexual side effects. Let's say you're on a medication that really does take a hit on your sexual function. You can add, augment, and add bupropion, and sometimes that will counter those sexual side effects. Something to talk to your doctor about, but there has been good research showing that adding bupropion to your your current uh, antidepressant regimen can help counter those sexual side effects. There are other antidepressants that are just known to have less sexual side effects. Mirtazapine is another one. Uh, So, but not a lot of doctors know this. Uh, So you really need to kind of do your research go to your GP or whoever's prescribing you and say, Hey, you know, I found this article, I've done this research and 
Or maybe you're not doing the research and you're saying, you need to help me. Tell me which of these medications has the least sexual side effects because there are ones that have less sexual side effects. Mm -hmm. Now, all that being said, just because these impact serotonin, just because they have sexual side effects doesn't mean 100% of people are going to experience those sexual sexual side effects. Um, I know the research for women, for women, it's about uh, 80%-ish of women, if they're on an antidepressant, are going to experience some sort of impact on their arousal. About 70% of women are going to experience some sort of impact on their desire. And then about 40% of women are going to experience some sort of impact on their orgasm. So it's not 100%. I mean, those numbers are high, Mm -hmm. but it's not 100% slam dunk that the medication is going to negatively impact your sexual function. Got it. It's also dose dependent too. Mm -hmm. So maybe you get on a medication and you realize, gosh, this is really impacting my orgasm. Can we take the dose down a bit? Right. Does it have that same impact on men? as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So at least it's fair. <laughs> yeah. Something interesting that my doctor also said to me while we were talking about all of these things, cause obviously Emma and I have the same doctor yes. and we ask her lots of questions and we're obviously very comfortable talking about sex. And so we were talking about how she often has trouble prescribing SSRIs to men because they won't accept the sexual dysfunction. And so she knows they'll just stop taking them randomly. Or like, we'll just stop. Yeah. So she said that. I just thought that that was really interesting. It is really interesting. Um, For people who don't necessarily have the same relationship with their doctor that like Emma and I do and are maybe a little more uncomfortable talking about sex, do you have some language that they could practice using when they want to talk about um, like their options in terms of antidepressants specifically for like sexual function reasons? Yes. I mean, the the simplest language is just to say it. Mm -hmm. What are the side effects? Are there any sexual side effects? And it it is unfortunate that that is being put on the patient to ask, are there any sexual side effects? But more often than not, it is being put on the patient. About 80% of providers do not talk about sexual side effects when prescribing antidepressants. So it, it is on you as the patient, as the client to bring it up. And it's just a simple can you tell me the side effects? Are there any sexual side effects? And your provider needs to know that answer. So many providers ignore the sexual health piece uh, because the majority of med schools do not have training in sexual health. A lot of providers are embarrassed to talk about sexual health. They just assume the, the patient's going to bring it up. Uh, but it is their responsibility if they don't know the answer to then get you the answer. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people who um, are like struggling with this identity of like before this medication, I felt like a really sexual person. And now on it, I'm not at all. Like we got a question about that of just like how to deal with that shift in who you felt like you were before medication. Yeah. And so there's, um, I mean, there's a variety of different options to take. So you feel different. One option could be, well, then I want to change this. Can we lower the dosage? Can we find a medication that's going to have less sexual side effects for me? Can something change? Mm -hmm. And so those are a couple options. Lower the dosage, find a different medication. There are some behavioral options to try to change this as well. Um, A really neat study was done on the impact of exercise and um, sexual side effects from antidepressants. And what this research study showed, it was for women, but it showed uh, that moderately intense exercise, so strength training plus cardio at your 75 to 80% max heart rate, moderately intense exercise three times a week can really reduce the impact of uh, sexual side effects, particularly on arousal. 
and you want to bump that up even more, have sex within 30 minutes of that exercise. So there's some so behavioral things you can do, like exercise, um, a vibrator. So if you're someone who says, my orgasm has gotten a lot more difficult since I've been on this medication, oftentimes the reason it's more difficult is because these medications can impact genital sensation. And so if you're not feeling the same level of sensation that you felt before, then it's going to be much more difficult to reach orgasm. And getting a vibrator, which is going to be a lot more intense, that can kind of counteract that not feeling the same, yeah, that previous sensation. You're just mm-hmm. getting much more stimulation. Right. So again, there are some behavioral strategies if you're saying, I don't want to accept this. I want to make some changes. Are there things that can be tweaked on the medication side? Are there some behavioral things that you can do? Can you um, augment it with Wellbutrin? We talked about that a moment ago. But what if, uh, what if you get to the point where you say, look, I've tried to tweak and change. I've tried, tried to change the doses. This is the best med for me at this dosage. And I just, I have to stay on it for my mental health. I have to stay on it. That's where it would be incredibly helpful to work with a sex therapist. And the sex therapist can help you with a few things. Um, like you were saying, Emma, that reframing, reframing, okay, I'm still a sexual person, The sensations maybe don't feel the same. The way I define sexual satisfaction, maybe you defined it before as whether or not you reached orgasm. But your orgasm is simply not as intense, or maybe you're just having difficulty reaching orgasm. So can you you redefine how you see sexual satisfaction or experience sexual satisfaction? Maybe part of that redefinition is it is less about whether you reach orgasm or how aroused you get, and it's more about the skin-to-skin contact and the emotional connection. So can you look at those different aspects? But a a sex therapist can help you redefine, help you create more realistic expectations. If this is going to be a part of your life for now, that you are always going to be on this medication, it is always going to impact your sexual function in this way, then realistically, what can you expect going forward? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it doesn't mean that that realistic expectation is hearts and rainbows. It's not what it was before. But if you can think about it more realistically, that may make it um, just less less damaging. You're not just demanding that it was what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So a sex therapist can help you change expectations, set your mind frame differently around what is sexual satisfaction and just accept that this is what it is. And also part of changing that mind frame is how did you feel when you were anxious or how did you feel when you were depressed? Mm -hmm. Is this medication worthwhile? Is it, is the benefit of the medication greater than this consequence? Mm -hmm. And if so, also reframing saying, well, you know what, my quality, my overall mental health is so much better. Yeah, I'm not reaching orgasm the way I used to, or I don't have the same desire that I used to, but wow, I feel better about life in general. And so that's worth it. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I think that was the biggest realization for me because I have had a lot of changes sexually since being on an SSRI. And like, I don't 
think about sex as often. Like I kind of have to like make myself think about sex. I'm not just gonna automatically be in the mood randomly and it is harder to orgasm and we have to try different things, which has also been really good for our relationship. But it is a hard thing to accept that like, oh my God, I'm doing so much better mentally right. and this other thing changed. And so it's almost like I had to grieve that aspect as well because mm -hmm. it is sad you know what I mean like it's disappointing I, I think I struggled with feeling like my body was failing me because it was either depressed and not feeling happy that I was alive or I'm losing out on this like connection to my partner which I know that I'm not but in a way it still feels like I am so it was just like a really big like I don't know grieving but also like celebrating that I'm like happier and doing better mentally and I don't really have like a conclusion to that but just like a yeah it's hard having that identity shift and having to grieve something that you want but then you do need to change mm -hmm. if you want to have an orgasm ever. <laughs> I'm curious um, if you're willing to share yeah. You said you kind of recognize with maybe the difficulty with orgasm the loss of mm -hmm. orgasm that oh, I'm losing this connection with my partner when you were maybe in the worst part of your depression, was that in any way impacting your connection with your partner? Yes. <laughs> yes. We like that. There were so many other connections that we lost because I was so depressed. Like, no, we weren't really having sex. We could, we would sometimes like when I was in an especially good, like an especially good mood randomly, um, or like I'd had a really good day, but like overall like we were fighting more we were not getting along I was not engaged like I was staying in bed all the time like not wanting to do anything and it's like yeah that also impacts a relationship mm -hmm. um and it's like I wasn't a like I guess in a way I was grieving that then too and feeling like everything was kind of failing but like it's it was definitely worth it to like ha struggle with sexual function mm -hmm. versus struggle with existing yeah. Like that's definitely a trade-off that I would take every time. Right. Um, but it still sucks yeah. to have to do any trade-off. I think that's what was frustrating is that there is any trade-off at all. It's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to pick. <laughs> um, well, so, I mean, another thought of not necessarily having to pick for some mm -hmm. people, for some people getting on the medication is that boost that they need, that change in neurochemistry to get out of bed, to get more activated. Yes. And then the next step is seeing a therapist who specializes and treats depression, learning those skills. And then over time, once you've got those skills really solid, slowly reducing that medication. Yes. It doesn't work for everybody. For some people, there is such a strong genetic component that they will always have to be on that medication. But for some people, the medication is just a boost. It gives them enough energy and ability to be present to do the therapy work. And then they get off that medication. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's something that I want to try. I mean, I do think that depression and anxiety run in my family pretty intensely, but pretty much around events, um, I think is when my family tends to like kind of go into that hole. And that was something that I was talking with my doctor about is like, I can't do any of the things that are going to, that are going to help me not feel depressed. Like I can't go to the gym. I can't make myself three meals a day. I can't get up out of bed. It's like, I don't have the motivation to do that. Like you were talking about. And so it's like the medication helped at least get me that motivation to start making those steps so that I can build routines that like actually make me feel better. Like on a, I don't know, like ground floor <laughs> level, like building the actual building life that level. I want. Yeah. So, but 
when you feel that way, like when you're really depressed, it's not really possible to do all of those things. At least it wasn't for me, um, let alone have sex and build like a really good sex life. Well, and that's one of the features of depression. Mm -hmm. There is such little motivation. Uh, Someone tells you, come on, you got to get out of bed. You got to do something. Why? For what Mm -hmm. reason? Like, why? Uh, So yeah, core component of depression is you don't really see any use in kind of doing anything, let alone have the motivation to do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't um, I don't know what this is called, <laughs> but at least with that type of mind, like spiral, like I don't have the motivation to do that. I've experienced that as well. And like when I'm so overwhelmed and so much anxiety, I'm like, I could do this. It's like, or you know what I could do? I could get into bed and nothing, none of this would fucking matter actually. And I could quit my job and I could not have a business and I could not have friends and I can just go home. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like all of that's how my mind has trailed too. And I have really bad anxiety and it's like, and you know what? That's fine. But on the positive side, (laughs) obviously, um, building all those habits. But I also really liked what you said earlier about grieving. I feel like talking about that, is important because we can grieve while also knowing that we're like growing and moving on, Mm -hmm. but like grieving this, like I didn't, I used to have this and now Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna, or it's going to look different. That's Mm going to be okay. I want to be sad about that for a minute. And I want to give that like the validation it deserves, but we also, we got to move on, you know, like you gotta, you gotta keep going. Um, but like that, like part really stuck with me too. So. And I think that's a super important piece. It's, um, yeah, like there's, there's not helpful to just dismiss it and say, yeah, but you're healthy again. So get right. over your orgasm. No right. bigs. Uh, no, it is a big deal. Right. Sexual health, yeah. sexual function is a big deal. And you can absolutely continue to mourn that and continue to be bummed every time you're like, oh, the arousal was just not like it was before. And at the same time, uh, if you get so mired in that, uh, gosh, it's not what it used to be then that's probably impacting the connection that's impacting the overall sexual experience. So it's letting it be there, acknowledging that it's there, but not being stuck in it or spiraling in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there some things that you can do like while you are having sex or that a partner can do to kind of like boost arousal if you are on a medication or if you are really depressed or anxious, but you are wanting to engage in sex? Are there any things that you can do like within the act itself? that can help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, and this is not, I don't believe there's any research specifically on what I'm going to talk about in a moment is mindfulness, mindfulness and combating the sexual side effects of antidepressants. Uh, but there is tons of research on mindfulness, improving desire, arousal, orgasm. So I'll talk about that general research and I have no reason to believe that it wouldn't also work when you're having sexual side effects. Um, so mindfulness is the ability to be really present in the moment without judgment, which is a core piece I think people often forget. Present in the moment without judgment. So for example, if you're being sexual, let's say you're in the sexual activity and you're trying to be as present in the moment, what you're focusing on is sensations. And you can focus on super simple sensations. Temperature, oh, is this warm, is this cool? Pressure, is this firm, is this smooth? Um, Pressure, firm or soft? Texture, rough, smooth. So temperature, pressure, texture. So you're focusing on those sensations and there are probably other sensations. What's the smell? What are the sounds? What do you see? So you're focusing on those sensations and let's say a distracting thought comes in and that thought may be related to your depression. It may be related to scanning the environment for threat, to anxiety. And you can wave hi to that thought like, oh, 
oh, hey, depressed thought, I knew you were going to be judging me on my body image. Or, hey, depressed, or, hey, anxious thought, I knew you were going to be thinking about that deadline and that to-do list. So you can wave hi to it, acknowledge it's going to be there. And imagine you're just letting it go by, like it's on a conveyor belt, and you're just letting it go by on that conveyor belt. Or some people describe it as it's that thought's just on a leaf, a leaf and that leaf is just flowing by on a stream. But you let that thought go by. So you don't try to push it out. And you don't try to grab it and kind of strangle it. You just go like, oh, hey, thought, I see you. You let it go by. And then you just go right back to refocusing on temperature, pressure, texture, whatever sensations you're experiencing. When I say without judgment, uh, that means not getting mad at yourself for having that thought. Just realizing, hey, it's just a thought that I'm having. Um, Let it go by. Not getting mad at yourself because you keep having distracting thoughts. Like, it's okay. My mind's busy right now. That's okay. Let it go by. So constantly refocusing is a core component of mindfulness during sexual activity. You are just trying to get present in your body. And that alone, research consistently shows, improves desire, arousal, orgasm. Now, most of this research is for women. This research has just started to look at men, and it is showing that it's improving men's erectile function. So that is what you can do in the moment. You can really try to practice mindfulness. And what I would recommend is practice mindfulness outside of sex. Like, really learn that skill. There are some really great apps like Headspace where you can practice mindfulness, Insight Timer, Calm. So practice mindfulness in a non-sexual context. Do body scans. Do mindful eating. Do some mindfulness exercises. Really see if you can get this skill get really strong in this skill and then bring it into your sexual relationship. And even, I would even recommend do a little bit of mindfulness with your partner, some mindful touching before you even start the sexual activity. Try to like, for a lot of people, they say, gosh, you know, I go to work and then I get home from work and it's hard for me to switch my mind. And then all of a sudden go into like sexual mode. So what if you did five, 10 minutes of mindfulness before you were even sexual, just to kind of Turn everything else off, allow yourself to be in the moment, um, turn off those that threat system. That alone can help you tap back into your body and can improve sexual function. And I think that would really help whether you're on an antidepressant. And we know for sure the research shows it helps if you're not on an antidepressant. And would you recommend that same practice if, you know, you are on an antidepressant and the thoughts coming in are, I should be orgasming faster. Like, why doesn't this feel like it used to? Like all of those kinds of thoughts. Yes, those that's exactly what uh, mindfulness is for. That's that is one of the major reasons why we believe mindfulness is incredibly helpful because when you're thinking those things, that is so much pressure. Mm-hmm. I should be orgasming. Why is this taking so long? I never used to take this long. So that's a ton of pressure. And what we know about pressure is pressure hits the brakes. It shuts down sexual function. It is hard to function sexually when you are under pressure, under pressure that you have to perform in a particular way, under pressure, under time pressure that you got to hurry this up. So when one of the foundational pieces of a healthy sex life is no pressure, no (laughs) demand, no pressure. So yes, if you are able to fill your mind with sensations and not with all those pressure-filled thoughts, that will improve your sexual function. Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. 
I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to O-S-E-A malibu.com and use code d-e-w-m-e for 10 percent off i've been trying to practice this uh like you're saying you know outside of a sexual experience because i do have just anxiety thoughts that go through my mind when i'm starting to like make out with someone or be intimate with someone um it just it's it feels nonstop. but outside of that i saw a tiktok actually where this girl uh was reading a quote of something and I can't even name it, but she was saying when those thoughts come up, just being like thought that's a thought and letting it go. And then I was like, I don't know if that'd work. I feel like the visual visualization of like watching it leave might work better, but for whatever reason, when I do that now, it really does. It like turns it from something alive to dead in my head. And like, that's the best way I can describe it is that I just say thought, And then it like loses all of its energy and then it drops out of my head for the most part. You know, it doesn't stop necessarily the frequency of how much I think Mm -hmm. about stuff, but it, it loses its energy. And like, that's been super helpful for me in the past like month or two. (laughs) That is a really common tool that we use in psychology because the moment you say, oh, that's just a thought, Mm -hmm. then that is no longer you. Right that is no longer like an experience you're having in the moment. Oh my gosh, this is going to happen. It's, it's just a thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have so much, so we call in the type of psychology I do, it's called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And we call the thoughts automatic thoughts because our thoughts are often and most times we are not conscious. Like I would like to think this right now. Like, no, our thoughts are so automatic. Um, doesn't mean we're going to act on them. Doesn't mean that those thoughts define who we are. Like, it's just a reflex. It's just a thought. I think about how many times you think about how many times you were, you've been driving in a car and someone cuts you off and you're like, Oh, I just want to rear end them. <laughs> uh, and do you like, no, like it's just, it's an, a thought that thought yeah. doesn't define you. It doesn't indicate what your actual, what behavior you're actually going to do. It's just a thought. I do that in the mornings too. I feel like uh, in Taylor Swift's song when, um, fuck, I forget the song name now, but it's like, damn, it's 7 a.m., you know, that line. Like for whatever reason, right when I wake up, I think the meanest things about myself, (laughs) about the world, about my life. And I'm like, fuck, bitch, it is 7 (laughs) a.m. And I'm like, it's just a thought. (laughs) Go on with your day, please. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, it really does help take it away from it being a part of your identity and how you think about yourself to that was just an automatic thought. And like, maybe that's not how I think about myself. It's just something that popped into my head. What I like about this, um, it's 7am. Uh, what I hear you trying to do is really not, not judge yourself. You're not trying to beat yourself up. You're just saying like, 
hey, it's just, it is just a thought because you could then all of a sudden have more thoughts about like, why am I doing this to myself? And gosh, I'm such a jerk to myself. I'm a jerk because I have jerk thoughts. Like you can go to this whole spiral of just judging yourself. But really by just saying it's just a, hey, it's 7 a.m. Like you're giving yourself some self-compassion. It's just a thought. Right. You're trying to remove a lot of that judgment. Yeah, I guess that's a really good way to put it too. Taking my self-blame out of it and just trying to make it like, uh, please stop at seven. <laughs> you really can spiral when you put it that way. Like, oh my God, yeah. you can judge yourself for judging yourself yeah. for judging yourself. It's like, it's nonstop. It's nonstop. Um, in like a line of no judgment, I'm wondering if you can speak directly right now to partners of people experiencing sexual dysfunction, whether that's because they're on medication, because they're depressed, because they're anxious. Like, can you, like, I'm not sure if I'm asking you to like, give advice or just like what would you say to them because I think it is both hard to be a partner of somebody like I know that it's difficult for my partner to you know understand what I'm going through and like how to help but also just like yeah any any advice any words of wisdom (laughs) um just one little bit of information from the research if your partner has a sexual function issue you yourself then are more likely to develop a sexual function issue. So let's give kind of example. Um, uh, Let's say, well, this is really common with sexual pain. Let's say it's a heterosexual couple and the woman has sexual pain. It is, it could could be highly likely that the man is going to start to experience erectile dysfunction because then he starts to get in his head. Oh my gosh, this is hurting her. I can see a wince. Is she having pain? And then once you get in your head, once you're scanning the environment for threats, that shuts down that sexual function. So So your partner is just at higher risk of having a sexual function issue themselves because of your sexual function issue. So just kind of a side note there. Um, Now, tips, advice for the partner. I'm glad you brought up the segue of non-judgment because that's huge when it comes to sexual relationships. The healthiest sexual relationships have no judgment, no demand, no pressure. This is a theme, but I can't, um, it is, is worth repeating. No pressure, no pressure that the sexual experience is supposed to look like anything. No pressure that you are supposed to perform in any way. No pressure that it has to follow a script and that that script has to end in orgasm. Mm -hmm. One of the, there was a really good book that came out. Um, maybe it was like a year, year and a half ago at most. And it's called magnificent sex. And this is a researcher up in Canada and she interviewed, Um, tons of couples who say, long-term couples who say, we have magnificent sex. And she's like, oh, really? How do you have magnificent (laughs) sex? And one of the core predictors that that interviewing these couples that came out of this book was they were having magnificent sex because the sex they were having, they were present with each other. They weren't placing expectations on each other. They were just in the moment, present, enjoying the sensations of whatever came up whether it led to orgasm or not, whether it led to any sort of penetration or not, they were just present in what they were doing. Um, so that's that's just a core piece of a healthy sexual relationship, being present and not demanding that your body perform in any particular way. So what I would say to partners, well, to everybody, but to partners, is if you're if your partner's body or sexual response isn't doing what it used to do because of medications, okay that's okay. It's not supposed to do anything. This is just what it's doing now. So get in those sensations, get present. Why are you having sex in the first place? Are you only having sex just to get that orgasm? Are you only having sex just to get that arousal? Or is a big piece of sex connection? 
all right, then explore, get creative. How else do you connect without demanding things, follow a specific script? What, what would you say for this response, this feeling of responsibility that your partner has an orgasm, you know, like say like you're the one on antidepressants and not in the mood, but you feel this like responsibility to them to like experience pleasure and have a sex life that you feel like you can't give them. Like what, what is that solution, I guess, or what is, what's some guidance there? So are you saying there's pressure that you yourself, despite being on an antidepressants, you have to have an orgasm or you have to give your partner an orgasm? What's like the pressure? giving your partner an orgasm, giving them the sex that like they probably want. Yeah. Um, that it's so important that that becomes a discussion. So maybe your sexual relationship doesn't look like what it looked like before because of medications or because of an injury or because of illness or because of kids, right? This isn't just right. about medication. There could be so many different things that hit the brake pedal. Okay, life doesn't look like it did before, or our bodies are, because of age, right? Our bodies are not responding the way they used to before. So we got to put our heads together. Why do we have sex? I will ask couples in my office, okay, and it seems like such a silly question, but like really take it seriously. Why do you have sex? Do you only have sex to get that orgasm? Like, why do you have sex? And when we're able to really distill it down and take our time to talk about it, bottom line is I think every single couple I've ever worked with, the answer in the end is to connect. Yes, the orgasm is lovely. Those pleasurable feelings are great. Um, and you do it to connect. Uh, so what I would say, well, tell me your question again, because I got lost in what I was saying. <laughs> no, it's okay. Oh, Just the pressure. Yeah, you feeling responsible. Uh-huh. Um, and so if both of you put your heads together and you say, okay, we, re we really realize we're having sex because we want to connect, then how important is that orgasm? Is it, about, is it about really truly giving your partner an orgasm or is it about creating a context or a space to give your partner, to give your partner yourself as being fully present and saying, I am being really present with you. I'm shutting everything off. We're going to have this time together to connect. If it ends in orgasm, it ends in orgasms. If not, if not. Uh, with a lot of people, not everyone, but like, I'm sure most, I'm not going to say I'm sure a lot of partners can give themselves an orgasm, mm -hmm. but they can't give themselves that connection with you. Right. Mm -hmm. So then would you encourage, I guess, mass, like keeping up a masturbation practice for, I guess everyone, I always encourage that. So I don't even know why I'm asking, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, absolutely. So if the part of the side effects of the antidepressant is it's reducing your desire. And now there's this desire discrepancy between you and your mm -hmm. partner uh, where couples get in trouble when I see couples in my office is the partner with the higher desire continues to demand that the lower desire, desire partner meets them where their desire is at. Uh, we have to be equal. You have to have the same level of desire I have. You're the only one who can meet my sexual needs. And then what does that create? What I keep saying in this entire discussion today, pressure and pressure shuts down sexual function. Instead, it's okay. Our desires of level are, our level levels of desire are different. Maybe we can meet them a little bit in the, a little bit more, but they're never going to match or they're certainly not going to match while you're on this medication or while you still have this illness or whatever it might be. So I'm going to learn to address my higher desire with self-stimulation with my own solo sexuality. That is a really helpful strategy when there's a desire discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. There, I really appreciate that. And in my journey with this medication, there have been long stints in where I'm like, 
I don't want to work on it. I don't want to have sex. Like, I don't want to do mindfulness right now. I don't want to do like whatever it's going to, I don't, whatever it's going to take to like get me in the bedroom and aroused. I don't feel like doing it. I don't have the energy. I don't have the desire. I'm still like, you know, I am on like a relatively low dose and it's like, it's not like it just fixed everything automatically. There are still, you know, depressive thoughts, anxious thoughts, all of that kind of stuff. But it's like, is it okay? And I like, if you just don't want to have sex and you don't really want to work on it right now, like, is that okay if you're in a relationship? Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Cause what's your alternative? Well, you have to, okay, mm-hmm. well then you're having obligatory sex then you're having duty sex. And I have seen so many couples where that's the dynamic they're in and give it one year, two years, three years, they start resenting their partner. The partner comes up to even touch them to just give them a hug. And they're like, uh-uh, don't touch me. Mm-hmm. So that's incredibly damaging to just say, well, I have to do this. This is my duty. This is my obligation. I'm really damaging over time. So yes, if you're not feeling it, and you don't want to work on it. And mindfulness is hard to do if you're like, uh-uh, I'm not even in the mood to be mindful. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Now, that being said, your partner, if they're saying, hey, you want to have sex, or they're initiating sex, one way to think about this, and this is a couples therapy um, skill or a couples therapy theory, they're not even theory. There's tons of research behind this. If your partner is saying, hey, do you want to be sexual, or they're snuggling up next to you, they are putting out a bid to connect with you. And so if you just right away are like, Ugh, get away, I don't want to work on this. I don't want this. You're rejecting that bid. Uh, I don't want to connect with you. Now here's, um, have you two heard of the emotional bank account? Mm-mm, no. Okay. Super important concept in couples therapy, tons of research to back it up. Every relationship has this theoretical emotional bank account. So this emotional bank account, uh, whether it is running a surplus or a deficit, determines just kind of how happy and satisfied you feel in the relationship. And what fills this bank account are things called bids for connection. A bid for connection, it can be verbal, it could be nonverbal, it could be something as simple as, I'm like, oh, how was your day today? So you're putting out a bid to connect, and the other person's like, oh, it was pretty good, this and this happened. Every time you put out a bid, imagine a dollar, gets put into this emotional bank account. Bids also are are nonverbal. Maybe you're just snuggling up next to your partner and they snuggle back to you or you put your hand on their leg and they touch your hand. That's an accepted bid. Uh, So there are also bigger bids, right? You want to go on a date night, but they don't have to be big. They could be just really tiny things like, oh, wow, the weather looks really nice today. Oh, yeah, it does. That's an accepted bid. So all those are dollars you put in the account. Now, a rejected bid, and a rejected bid could look like a few things. It could look like a flat-out rejection, like, oh, how was your day today? I don't want to talk. Okay, well, that's a rejected bid. Or um, how was your day today? And you're just on your phone and your partner is totally just ignoring what you're saying, not even listening. All of those are rejected bids. Or, hey, you know, would you want to have sex? You want to snuggle? No, rejected bid. Every rejected bid is $5 taken out of the bank account. So one rejected bid, a $5 withdrawal. One accepted bid, a $1 deposit. So what research shows is to just run zero in your bank account. You don't have a surplus and you don't have a deficit. You're just flat in your bank account. You need a five to one ratio. You need five bids being accepted, being rejected. But we know that couples, uh, long-term happy couples have about a 20 to one ratio. They have 20 accepted bids for every one rejected bid. So what I will talk a lot with couples about with this emotional bank account is sex, physical connection, those are bids. So think about them as bids. Now, oftentimes couples go like, so you're telling me 
that I have to accept all of its bids for sex and that's the only way this is going to work. No, 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 no. Um, you can counter bid. What I'm saying is it's not that you have to say, yes, we will have sex now because I have to accept your bid and we need to put money in this bank account. Instead, it's, oh, I see that you're bidding to connect. I see that. I am really not in the mood to have sex. Like I am tired. I'm just not feeling it. I see that you want to connect. Can we snuggle? Can we go watch a movie together? Um, I see that you want to connect and I want to meet that bid. Can I counter bid and can we connect in a different way? I want to put money in that bank account. Can we find a way that feels good for both of us to put money in that bank account? And so that still counts for a full dollar? <laughs> yes. Okay. Will I still get a dollar? <laughs> That's so cool. I love visual visualization of like emotions like that, like mm -hmm. how you're saying. I feel like that makes things so clear. And I, I did some of those practices when I was in couples therapy um, in a different way. But it was just like when you put like this image in your head of how your interactions actually look, you know, mm -hmm. it really does like solidify how it can get better, how it can stay the same, how it can kind of get worse, you know, how you can keep it consistent. It's It really helps. Big picture. Big picture. Mm -hmm. Big picture. Big picture. Ah. <laughs> You're so smart. Too. I know. <laughs> um, I don't think I had any other really big questions. Did yeah. You? Is there anything that we didn't cover in regards to any of what we talked about that you're like, that needs to be said? Um, there's one thing, and there's not much research about it, but I think it's important to bring up about um, three to 5%. Not good research on this. It's a small number but still significant. About three to 5% of people who get on an antidepressant have um, what's called post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. What that means is they stop taking the antidepressant and they think, okay, well, my, my sexual function is going to come back because I'm not on the med anymore. But this ends up being a permanent sexual dysfunction as a result of being on the medication, post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. So you're not on the med, but now you still have those sexual side effects and they and they can be permanent. So about three to 5% of people report that, and we don't exactly know what, what causes it. It absolutely is a phenomenon that exists. Uh, and one of the most common symptoms is if you're starting to experience um, like a genital numbness, nipple insensitivity, those are some of the like, symptoms of post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. So because there's just not much research on it, uh, I've absolutely have clients come to me and say, I've been off my Prozac for a year and this, my sexual function has not gotten, gotten better. I have my genital sensation has not coming back. And like, there's a huge mourning process and we don't have answers for what's causing this small percentage of the population, but not insignificant. And so I just wanted to bring, bring that up. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Scary, but thank you for bringing that up. It is scary. Yeah. I did think of another question while you were mentioning that. Um, if you are, you know, really just not in the mood to have sex, you're on a medication, whatever it is, um, is like doing small like sexual things like every <laughs> once in a while, like would that kind of like build up your, could that build your arousal? Like if you start, if like you intentionally are like, okay, we're going to kiss or cuddle or whatever it is, you know, a couple times a week. And then the next week we're going to try and like add a little bit more and a little bit more like, can that 
like can exposing yourself to it increase your arousal? <laughs> um, yeah. So there was one research study that um, showed, you know, this is for women, that showed simply attempting to be sexual three times a week improved sexual function, improved sexual yeah. desire. Um, and part of that is it's on your mind. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, I'm going to make a conscious effort to attempt this three times a week, whether it happens or not. Another part of that is, um, I mean, if you're on an antidepressant because of depression, one of the treatments for depression is what's called behavioral activation. So if you see a therapist, the therapist is probably going to teach you this concept of behavioral activation. It sounds much fancier than it is. It's essentially just get your butt up and go do something. Um, even if you don't want to. Uh, So that's behavioral activation. And so if you're saying, okay, I'm going to make an effort to attempt sexual activity three times a week, that's behavioral activation. So yes, that absolutely could work. uh, Just saying, we're going to do a little makeout session, even Mm -hmm. if I don't really want to, but I'm I'm like, I'm open to it. We're going to, let's just try it out. Doesn't doesn't have to lead to sex. Mm -hmm. It's not going to lead to sex. We're just going to have a makeout session. That could be helpful. It's keeping it on your mind. It's behavioral activation. And even like we think longer term, when I see couples where they have not been sexual for months or years, it's um, one, you're out of practice. Oftentimes these couples will say, I, I mean, sometimes I feel like I maybe want to have sex, but then it feels awkward. Like, I don't even know how to get this started again. It's been so long. So you're out of the habit. So still making out, touching, uh, keeps, you, keeps you in the habit. So when you are in a place where you want to be sexual, it's not as awkward. You've still been in the habit of having that physical connection. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense because I remember when uh, my ex-boyfriend and I, we went through a whole thing where like months we wouldn't have sex, but that also meant we wouldn't even try to engage even in little ways. And then when we would try to have sex, it would just be so awkward. We would be like off rhythm. Our kissing wouldn't be right. Like, And then we would try to have sex after that, and it's just like, this isn't going well. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do you feel like more of a stranger when I'm trying to have sex with you than when we're just sitting on the couch, you know? So that I, I like that idea of like, at least just keep it habitual. We and aren't born way. good at sex. Yeah. Yeah. So that was well, and that's class. what I do with exercise is um, mm-hmm. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym for 10 minutes. And if I want to be done after 10 minutes, I can be done after 10 minutes. And I, I usually don't. There's been like two times that I'm like, yeah, I want to be done. Right. But it's like, I feel like that could apply in uh-huh. relationships as well. Like, okay, I'm going to kiss for a couple of minutes. And if I want to keep going, great. And if I don't, that was great in and of itself. Right. Yes. And so that even taps into um, this idea, this concept of responsive desire. Uh, are you two familiar with responsive desire? Yeah. Yeah. From our yeah. sex class that we took oh. in college. Yeah. It's yeah. been a oh, while. Oh, but good. Yeah. Your sex class in college talked <laughs> yeah. about responsive desire. That's great. <laughs> um, for the listeners, I'll just give the, the brief definition, but it's different than spontaneous desire. It's typically what we hear in the media. We hear desire is spontaneous desire that you spontaneously think, I just really want to have sex right now. Whereas responsive to di- desire is you are sexually neutral. It is not on your mind. You are not thinking about it, but the ingredients are in place that allow you to say, well, okay, like I could be open to that. And um, so that's what I'm hearing you say that you say, okay, I'm, I'll, I will, I'll give it 10 minutes and we'll see what that kickstarts. And it may not kickstart anything or it may kickstart that responsive desire. And in the way responsive desire works Whereas spontaneous, spontaneous, just your mind says, I want to have sex. And then you start engaging in sexual activity and your body gets aroused. Responsive desire is the flip side of that. You're not thinking I want to have sex. 
you're saying, okay, I'm open to seeing where this will go. And then the sexual activity gets started or the exercise gets started. And then you're like, oh, Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that kind of feels good. And then your mind says, yeah, I'm into this workout routine or yeah, I'm into this sex we're having right now. And then the, the whole desire uh, response gets kickstarted, but your body has to get started first. And then your mind comes on the coattails, mm-hmm. which is very different. If your main desire is spontaneous, your mind says I'm into this and then your body gets aroused. Mm-hmm. So I love this idea of just go to the gym for 10 minutes, just kiss for 10 minutes and see if that can kickstart your mind to say, I'm into this. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't, no pressure. And if it does, okay. Oh, I love that. Yes. I love how many like actionable steps you've given because we have a lot of people in our community that have been asking and waiting for yeah. this episode. And we know there's a lot of people out there who need this information. So where can our listeners continue connecting with you um, after this episode? Um, yeah, so my website, which is just my name, jordanrulo.com. I teach courses, but my courses right now are just for other sex therapists, but uh, that's on my website, sexualhealthsolutions.com. So those are two ways you can connect with me. Hey, yo. <laughs> okay, it's a TikTok sound, and I know you know it because you've quoted it before, but it's just because I'm bad at doing voices. <laughs> Because right before you hit start, you said, take me out to dinner. Like that. And yeah. then you start it and you're like, hey, oh. <laughs> what is that sound? I don't know. Okay. Great. Great. I let's, like your voices. Let's close this one up. Let's close her up. Thank no, I you. Do have good voices. I have great voices. I have a good body movement. <laughs> you're just going to say good body. <laughs> I have a good body. I have a great I have face. A great body. Great personality. Like My this. husband is a lucky lady. <laughs> is one lucky bastard. Uh, we're lucky bastards because we mm-hmm. got to meet Jordan. So thank you, Jordan, for being on the episode today. And thank you to our oh-so-devouted listeners who just cheer us on relentlessly, honestly. Viciously. Feraly. Feraly. Yeah, thanks. All I want is a feral girl summer. Feral girl summer. What does that look like? Uh, you got a taste of it <laughs> from jumping into oh, the tree. Oh, yeah. That's fine. I guess I can do more of that. I guess it tastes summer. like cement. Tastes like eating cement. <laughs> it tastes like Broken bruises. ankles. <laughs> feral girl summer. Feral girl summer. Um, yeah. If you want to be a feral bitch too, head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. Go ahead and leave like a cheetah or something. Yeah. Because feral girl feral summer. Feral girl summer. Feral bitch summer. Feral boy summer. Feral anybody feral summer. summer. It's a yeah. feral summer. I'm going to take that out. <laughs> My pussy is a feral animal. <laughs> I'm going to let her out. Yeesh. I think we're done now. Okay, we should, bye. We should leave. Goodbye. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.